Hi everyone, this is Andre Harrison here, coming to you from the magical land of post-production. Sadly, in the time since recording episodes 181 and 182 of Motorsport 101 this past Monday and Tuesday, the 11th and 12th of March, it came to our attention very tragically on Thursday morning that Charlie Whiting, the head of Formula One's motorsport governing body, and FIA, and arguably one of the most influential people in all of motorsport, has very tragically passed away due to a pulmonary embolism he suffered on Thursday morning. He was just 66. Just so you know, we recorded these episodes before the news of his untimely passing, and we'll be talking about it in much greater detail in episode 183 next week. This is just a heads up to let you guys know that we genuinely did not know this at the time, and that if we don't mention it, that's essentially the reason why. Obviously, on behalf of everyone in Motorsport 101, our thoughts and prayers with Charlie, his friends, and his family. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed the episode. Why would I rate Botas 10 out of 10? How stupid would it be for Ryan Eric King, with all I've been through in my way, way past, to rate his 2018 9, 9.5, 10? How stupid would I be to do that? How stupid is that, guys? Use your common sense. Is this microphone on me? Forget the podcast. Forget how you feel about me. Hate me if you want to. Love me if you want to. Use your common sense. Quit playing. This is not me. Y'all killing me with this. It's not about both sides. I'm trying to have a relationship with my team. Y'all just don't want to believe the truth. (laughs) Welcome back to Motorsport 101. You, you, you know what's terrible? I only caught that reference about halfway in. <laughs> and then I realized I was like, oh shit. <laughs> Welcome back to Motorsport 101. I'm, I'm your friendly neighbors, Mr. Andre Harrison. Um, small editor's note this is probably going to be the actual episode 181. We kind of had a miscue on the last taping. We recorded 182 yesterday, and yet we're doing this by releasing it in opposite order. It's a bit weird. Hopefully it'll work out in the long run. Best laid plans and all that. In this one, folks, uh, ladies and gentlemen, we will be here with our big 2019 Formula 1 season preview. Um, with me, as always, um, coming down from his, um, shall we say, breakdown, Ryan King. <laughs> Hello, sir. I, I did not rate Botas 10 out of 10 in the season review episode. It's all a lie, guys. It's all a lie. He absolutely gave him a 10 out of 10 score. We have we have the footage. <laughs> like, like, we have the footage, and uh, I, I have audio proof of this moment. And <laughs> I don't care what you tell me, King. It definitely happened. <laughs> Meanwhile, in editing hell, 
Our friend and yours, RJ O'Connell. Hello, sir. Hi. Uh, this is going to be a fun one to put together. Put two of these <laughs> together in the same week. And we're 40 hours a week. I don't know how Lewis does this. Help me. <laughs> <laughs> For just £2 a month, you two could feed RJ's weekly supply of raw meat to be able to keep editing these shows. <laughs> <laughs> fun times fun times were all involved so yeah we'll be, we'll be breaking down some of the news some of the season changes um all the big movers and shakers and the moment you've all been waiting for is dre back on the narcotic and is he going to pick sebastian vettel to win the title for the third year in a row find out in about two hours time <sighs> when the good lord help us all Places you can find us real quick in the meantime. We're on youtube.com forward slash motorsport101. We're on facebook.com forward slash motorsport101. We're on Twitter at motorsport underscore uh, 101. If you want to follow our personal handles, you can um, at Harrison101HD, at RJ O'Connell, and at Ryan Eric King. That's with two Ks. Um, if you're really, really lucky, you can back us financially on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash motorsport101. $5 gets you early access to the show, at least 24 hours before it goes live to the public. $10 gets you gets you into our Discord as well, where you can listen to these shows live as they go out. Big turnout this time around. Shout out to Josette, to Rezzy, Jason, Cam, and Black Amal, all in here uh, listening in. Hope you guys enjoyed the show tonight. Um, thanks for coming, as always. Um, and $15 gets you a t-shirt. I will mail you a t-shirt a, a, with, a, with our beloved M101 logo on it, wherever you are in the world. Apart from Ireland, because they have really dodgy postcodes. Sorry, Brendan. <laughs> just just throwing that out there. But, but uh, <laughs> without further ado, with a quick musical interview after that, we'll be back with our Formula One 2019 season preview. Preview. Not 10 out of 10 <laughs> score. Damn it! Okay. So, it wouldn't be M101 without shithousing this just a little bit, basically. So, we're going to try and wing this one a little bit here. Um, we're going to roughly break this down into what we think the pecking order might be for 2019, roughly going on what testing was. As before, we are going to also talk about rules and regulation changes in between. That's going to be in the second intermission, as well as the 2019 calendar in general, with some interesting changes and some additions and some fun adjustments and some of the and you know, all that fun stuff as well. So, in the first section here, we're going to go through what we think is going to be Formula 1.5 Part One, essentially, or as we joked about in the Discord earlier today, Formula 1.75 due to. Our first team, and, well, the joke's been all year that we're going to rank these teams from best to Williams. So, uh, here we are, folks. Rocket Williams Racing. May the shithouse God bless us all. Um, <laughs> I, I, think it, I think it's brighter if we talk about their drivers first. Yeah, that's prop. That, let, let's, let's get the good news out of the way, shall we? See, so yeah, in in the number eighty eight car making his grand Formula One return, his first season since two thousand and ten, the two thousand and eight Canadian Grand Prix winner Robert Kubica is back. Everybody, yeah! yay for Poland! Yay! We're all really happy and optimistic about this, you guys. As, as, as a tumbleweed rolls past the screen, as if this podcast was a visual medium, well, um, we, are, and- we are so excited he's back in Formula One, but. The team, though, 
Yeah, we'll get to that. We'll get to uh, that. Joining him in the second most famous number 63 in the world of motorsport now, behind Francesco Bagnaia in MotoGP, it's George Russell in the 63, the 2018 for FIA Formula 2 champion. Excitement! Yeah! The Kingsley. The Kingsling's Massive is proud of George Russell right now, fam. So... <laughs> but, uh, I mean, yeah, okay, we have to start out with, like, let's get the good news out of the way here first. Like, they have an excellent driver lineup, there's no doubt about that. Like, like Robert is still a bit of an untested commodity in the context of F1, and that's going to be very interesting, at least for me, where he shakes up in the grand scheme of things in the field, but... It's hard not to be at least a little excited about George Russell graduating into F1, given how solid he was last year, no? Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. Um, he, he, won, uh, he won seven races. Um, he fended off the likes of Lando Norris and Albert Salbon, Nick DeVries, uh, some very top-quality drivers in that field. Artem Marklov, uh, another driver with a lot of experience. Uh, I think... Everything's good with the drivers that they have on paper, and everything is good with the engine that they have in the back of their Mercedes uh, Williams, the Williams Mercedes FW42. But then we get to the rest of the organization, and it's kind of a mess. And it didn't help that last week um, it turned out that uh, Paddy Lowe announced he was having a leave of absence. In inver- I say that in inverted commas, a leave of absence from the team. Um, guys, I don't think he's coming back. Uh, like it's one of those... <laughs> the team wouldn't. The team would neither confirm or deny if he was coming back, which is not a good sign. When he's like, "Oh, he's just going on vacation," so he's coming back. Um, coming back, maybe. Yeah. Um, be honest, guys. We didn't think of this part of the plan. <laughs> right. Like um, we we established him leaving, but uh, I I don't think he's coming back somehow. Um. So this. This obviously doesn't look good. The The chassis was already reported to be several so, several seconds slower per lap than the rest of the field. That was before it actually showed up, and then it showed up to be about a second behind the field, and then it turns out that the suspension design was illegal, so they're going to have to rework it before they show up at Melbourne. Uh. And didn't they have that braking issue in testing where they, yeah. could, they literally couldn't fit the brakes onto the car and basically lost a day and a half of testing? Right. Yeah, and of course the thing with Patty Lowe is, you know, again he's not lived up to expectations, but at the same time, you know, if he ends up somewhere else, you know, who else are you going to get to replace him? Who else are you going Oof. to get that's that's as good, if not better? No, Patty Lowe is still one of the best in the field. Um, I, to be, I'll be honest, from day one, I was never quite sure why he took this on in the first place. I was like, this is a come down, uh, and, and it's a team that is trending down rather than up. And this this would this would have been what year three of the Paddy Lowe experiment, yeah. And and he's already up sticks. Now that screams to me that there is probably even more wrong with this team internally than meets the eye. That's what I fear. Um, like I I think there was a bit of a damage limitation PR job from Claire at testing, you know. Uh, they were they were the victims of some fake news when you know there was a lot of talk that Kibitz's main sponsor had, had left him. That was right. not true, thankfully. This team's basically had a lot of shit, uh, basically f- slung at them for quite some time, and uh, it, it's it it's hard not to rank them at the bottom of the pack here. No, 
No, I, I, yeah. I, I entirely agree. Like, by all measures, whether it be through testing times, or laps completed, or <laughs> or just how they appear to operate as an outfit compared to the rest, by all measures, they are at the bottom of the pile. When you consider that in 2014, they finished third in the championship with 320 points, um... Two years later, that point total dropped to about a third of what it was. They slumped to fifth in 2016. Um, then they dropped to half that points in 2017, and they have slumped down to seven points last year. And, you know, my optimistic prediction was that maybe they could crack double digits until they missed a couple of days in testing until we actually saw the car. I don't think they're going to go zero, and I don't think that's going to be the fault of the drivers. And, you know, as much as we worried at the start of the season, you know, how Robert was going to get along physically, I don't worry that physically he's not up to the task. You know, yeah. until we get to Monaco, then I have questions, but it's no longer a thing of can he physically do this. Um, the thing is, is it going to matter if his car is just constantly sucking dog's eggs? Yeah, it's almost like it doesn't matter how good Robert Kubica is, given that, you know, he's got an A an A plus tier prospect alongside him and his car's a dumpster fire. It's it's almost like it's redundant how good Kubica is at this point. Because yeah. he he's in a he's in he's in a very unfavorable matchup and he's in the he's a car that looks like it's the standout worst in the field right now. Mm-hmm. Like I think there is a chance Williams might go without a point for the season. Like that's how bad I think this could be. Ooh. Like I, I think they, I think they could run the zero point table here, folks. Which is amazing, given that last year everybody scored points. I think for the for the first time ever in F one history, that every driver in the field scored a point, um, all twenty of them. Um, so, which would be startling, but it would pretty much put the cherry on top of a Williams team that's been in slow decline for the last four years. Because Cam pointed out a minute ago. They had a pole position against Mercedes in 2014. We 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 don't forget Austria 2014 when Felipe Massa somehow shit housed his way to pole position. Like that seems like such a long time ago now. You know what else it seems really like a long does. time ago now? Pastor Maldonado winning the Spanish Grand Prix in between two seasons where they scored five points apiece, and then having to rescue his son from from a burning garage. Well, you know what seems like ages ago? Nephew, well, sorry, my bad. Yes. You know what else seems like a long time ago? 1997, the last year that Williams won the Drivers and Constructors Championships. Zach, Zach Villeneuve still a prospect. Um, <laughs> I mean, so, like, I, we... I hate it because I, I, you know, growing up in the mid 90s, I had a strong attachment to Williams because they were always the team to be, and I, I don't want to see them go the way of the Tyrrells, the Brabhams, the Sears, the Radio Shacks of the world. Um, <laughs> Radio Shacks, wow. Um, Like, honestly, it's like, Williams is an incredibly important part of Formula One, and I mentioned it last year on this very show. Like, McLaren and Williams are two of the real backbones teams of Formula One in the last 60, 65 years. We've, We've known F1 as we've come to know it now in the modern era, and it breaks my heart. And this is a this is coming from a guy that doesn't even like McLaren. It breaks my heart seeing them and Williams be fighting for places like fifteenth. It's not a nice feeling seeing that. I want to see them up the front, but 
I think this Williams team is in big ass trouble, and like that's probably one of my not so bold predictions for the for the for the episode that Williams don't score a point all year. I might have to ask Sky to price that one up for me, um, just just out of curiosity's sake um, on that one. But um, oof, are we all saying in, in unison here? Williams at the bottom. Yeah, pretty much. They will be nailed down to the bottom, at least until we get to the European stretch of the season, where maybe they will have some upgrades. I think really their only chance of scoring points is if if Melbourne turns sideways, which it has a tendency to do sometimes, but they're not going to score points throughout the first leg of the season when you, not to tip our hats or the intermission, but you got Bahrain, China. It's maybe it's coming down to Melbourne or Baku and those races going completely sideways for them to score points in the first four rounds. After that, they're going to be really hard pressed. Yeah, that 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 sounds about right for, for me on this one. Um, Williams probably in a bit of trouble, um, to say the least. Again, sad face. Um, so let's get into the team that they are the Pink Panthers themselves, and well, now pink with a great giant slab of, bl- of uh, blue in there too. Now, Sport Pezza Racing Point. That's right, kids. The bookies' money has spread to Formula One. <laughs> Probably like I, one of I, my least enjoyable things about the Premier League. Oh god, yeah, it's it's for those guys that don't know, like for those those who are Premier League football fans out there, maybe aren't into soccer ball as the Americans would say. Um, yeah, like half the Premier League is pretty much like got shirt sponsors or stadiums named after bookies in some capacity. It's actually quite cringy, um, and it, I, the, the the like the, the trend of more and more sports events being sponsored by sports books and bookmakers is a little bit alarming. Um, but, uh, yeah, this is another one. Sport Pezza from, uh, from, from Kenya, ladies and gentlemen, um, <laughs> out here now, uh, uh, with, as the main title sponsor of Racing Point. In the number 11 car, Sergio Perez, his ninth season in Formula One, um, and again, Mr. S- I'm gonna steal your podium and get out of town, um, eight career podiums, him in his 155 starts in F1. And Lance Stroll, his new teammate in the number 18 car, which totally wasn't predictable from Belgium last year. Um, his third F1 season in place. Um, we all know his famous, most probably his most famous moment in that great podium. He, well, I would say, I was about to say second for a second, but it was actually third because Bottas beat him in a photo finish over the line. That was fun. Uh, good times back then when Williams was on a podium um, in the number 18 car. Now, like this, like this is like, a weird situation where this team were like the champions of adversity last year. They had a a rocky road, again, new ownership mid-season, had to start from scratch um, at Belgium, had one of the iconic shots of 2018 when they went four wide down the Kemmel Strait with with the two main championship leaders in the pack in, in Hamilton and Vettel. Um, Ocon was leading the race for about three seconds, um, which was fun. Um, but uh, yeah, they, I think they they limped to sixth overall. I think last year, and yeah, this this is like they've just kind of really been there in testing. Like they, I don't think they've really st- stood out in any way, shape, or form yeah. on this one. And, right. Uh, it- but as Jason points out in the Discord, they never really test well. No. Right. And this was this is also a weird season because think back to when the team, the artist formerly known as Force India, 
were in administration. And if they got back going again, they pretty much committed to pretty much test a revised 2018 car in preseason testing. It, of course, got new ownership, and they showed up in testing in Barcelona with what is essentially a 2018 car with some slight revisions to fit the 2019 rules. It is said that by the time you see this car in Melbourne, it will be much different, and they will continue to bring upgrades as the year goes on. So I wouldn't put too much stock into where they finished in testing, but I also say this, it's a tougher midfield, and everybody else has taken massive steps forward, it looks like. Yeah. It, it feels like this, like last year was like the straw that broke the camel's back for Force India, or for the artists formerly known as Force India, when we talked about the wall coming up. Like when they were four for two years in a row in 20, I think 17 and 8, like 16 and 17 I should say. And we knew how big the gap was to the big three and whether it was possible they could realistically bridge it. If anything, and I kind of said this a couple of years ago, I had a feeling it was going to go the other way, and it has now with the other stronger, more resourceful midfield teams have come along and seemingly overtaken them. Um, And yeah, this is not the, the racing point team that we know and love, not really. Again, they... They have a knack of, of putting something out of the fire later on down the season. They have a, they have a real knack for that. Um, yeah, this, this is... year they'll have even greater capability to develop their car in season because now they're completely debt-free. Excellent. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah Which is something that I can't even say. <laughs> <laughs> Me neither. Um, so, you know, who doesn't love being debt-free for a year, uh, basically? So, yeah, Lawrence Straw obviously haven't bought the team out. He probably could be just wiped the debts clean as well while he was at it. Um, yeah, I'd say, like, in longer-term prospects, it's not going to affect... It's probably not going to affect them this season. But they had purchased a lot of the farmland around their factory in the intent to expand their factory to about ten times its current size. Ten? Yes. Yeah. Good God. Um, and I still think with this team, I still see their potential being fifth place. That's their ceiling. Their floor is probably ninth. I don't think at this point they're going to be as bad as Williams. No, no, uh, no I, 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 don't, I don't think so. Um, I don't think they'll be they'll be struggling that much. Um, on the other hand, like where's the ceiling for these dudes? Checo's the same ceiling as usual. You know, he's good for a podium finish. I don't know if his outright lap speed is as good as we you know it was once thought to be about four or five years ago but he is a solid capable driver when his when he's when he's in the right mindset and he's picking up points properly he is pretty much the backbone of this team i think this year is really going to be a make or break season for lance stroll as i said at the end of 2018 now he's with a team that his father basically financed his way into um, you know, there's always been due and undue criticism of his actual ability, his finances, his attitude ever since he got into Formula One. This could be an important season. Uh, Perez uh, has had some shaky years against Saban Ocon, but Perez is also not a walkover. No. <laughs> no, he's not. Not in the slightest. Um, it's it's, it's going to be tricky. And again, like I'm not entirely sure just how good Checo is at this point and like you say this is this is the smoking gun season for Lance Stroll he's now you know in a team that you know he basically has you know investment in from up above he's not got he can't basically lean on the car and the team's mismanagement anymore 
this this is it really for him, and we get to see how he realistically stacks up against a a, a very loaded midfield in in that sense. Um, so you know, general thoughts on, on on racing point here before we go on. General thoughts: I'd probably peg them for sixth, maybe fifth this year, but next year, next year and the season after, man, I'd probably the ceiling is looking good for them in the in the upcoming season this year. Right. It's going to be a hard scrap in the midfield. Like how high is the ceiling? Is it the uh, is it the twenty eighteen special? They'll finish second in the constructors championship. Uh, probably the highest I think they'll finish this year. Pro fifth, fifth. I don't. I don't think they'll be the best. Of the rest, they're they're probably fighting to be you know second best. I, I, I would. I think they're gonna end up similar to where they were last year. I think seventh overall. I think is. I think is where they're gonna end up being. They might turn it up towards the end of the season there might be the late game developers of the year the the anti-hass as I like to call them basically <laughs> um, where they, they put, I think they're going to start slow but I think they will come up as the season goes on I think that's, how, that, that's the read I get on this one mm-hmm. basically M- my own feeling is that I think they'll finish where they were if their points from the start of the season hasn't been thrown out I think again their ceiling is 5th place um, their floor is no less than ninth. I think that's about right. I think that is about right. Um, ooh, right. Moving on to Scuderia Toro Rosso Honda. In the 26 car, Daniel Kvyat. Yes, that Daniel Kvyat. The torpedo is back for his oh fifth <laughs> for his fifth season in Formula 1. No, he, he called himself the torpedo. He freaking painted on his goddamn helmet. He's the torpedo. No, no, it's not that. And... It, it's, it's that he's, he's come back. For a third bite at the chip, like, like it's like we'll get to that in a second. But yeah, Daniel Kvyat in the number twenty-six car, his fifth season in Formula One, his first since twenty seventeen. Um, seventy-two career starts under his belt already. His teammate making his debut in Formula One, Alex Albon, the two was was he second or third overall he was in the end? Third had, in the championship yeah. in Formula Two last year with yeah. a total of four wins and three pole positions and eight podiums. Yeah, was was probably probably should have had the silver medal last year, but again, his his last weekend was a bit of a disaster. Alex Albon making his Formula One debut, um, London's finest, as we like to nickname him on this show now. Um, he's a London boy. I don't care what his flag says to me. <laughs> he's a he's a local. We're claiming him. Um, <laughs> that's the rules. Um, Alex Albon in the twenty three car, hopefully not spinning it on his first lap, uh, basically. So. Year two of Toro Rosso on the Honda Power, and I think golden rule here: try not to have more team internal politics like you had last year. Would probably be a good start. Yeah, because because Gasly versus Hartley got a little bit toxic towards the end of last year, and it wasn't pretty. That's the first impression that I get, at least. I think a lot of people might have missed that Toro Rosso they they got along pretty well in testing you know the teams that Mm. might spring a surprise again they were ninth last season but you know people seem to have a really high ceiling of them with their second year with Honda Power they did they they did like you know they they were in the points quite a lot Pierre Gasly had a couple of real um had a couple of real uh you know barnstormer performance like Gasly's fourth in Bahrain I think he was sixth in Hungary as well and 
you know, the team had the team showed a lot of high side, a lot of upside last year. Not consistent over the course of the whole season. Hartley had a very unlucky time in F1, um, but put together some strong performances at the end of the season, I would say. Um, there's potential in this team, at least for sure. I have one big question mark, though. Just how good and how much confidence does Daniel Kvyat have? Because this is like the third bite of the cherry for the deal at this point. And like most F1 guys are lucky to get two. Um, I, I Honestly, I still can't believe he's here. Like, first of all, like it is a miracle in F1 that, that Kvyat's been leaned on this much. Um, it's, again, he's like a mini Kubitzer and like, we don't really know where he's going to stack up because he's been out of the sport now for a couple of years and, you know... Alex Albon is a very exciting t- teammate and prospect and rookie, and there's not a lot of ways this is going to go right for Danil, at least from where, at least from where I'm sitting. So, I, I mean, how do we... he looked he looked a lot better in testing. He he it looks like he has his confidence back. I think the year out of the sport, you know, has you know, if you believe what he says, I believe it's made him a much stronger driver and hopefully mentally this time he is much stronger around because again by the time uh he was made to uh step down in favor of Matt Verstappen he kind of at points looked like a broken and beaten driver and he's much better than that and he won the GP3 series title on his debut in 2013 he usurped a seat that was pretty much earmarked for Antonio Felix da Costa who was racing up in the higher tiers uh he got podiums and Red Bull, he outscored Daniel Ricciardo in their only season together. There is clearly some talent there, and I hope that the time away has made him a much stronger driver so that he can hopefully parlay this Toro Rosso drive into a different opportunity outside the Red Bull umbrella. Yeah, like, with Kivy, his talent has never been the question. It's always been the mismanagement from others that I think has done him in, in, in that sense. You know, it, like Red Bull never really had complete faith in him. They got infatuated with Max Verstappen, and, and then Carlos signs to a degree as well. And now Gasly's in in the Red Bull seat that Kvyat had for you know a good year and a chunk. Um, and you know we all know he was sacrificed to keep Verstappen happy, basically. And yeah, like the t- the talents there. I, again, I hope the confidence is there too because when he is on it, he is every bit. He is a guy that can run with the elites. There is no doubt about that. I just sincerely hope that that's still a thing and that the car can at least get in there. He's he's a he's a very solid driver, still relatively young in in the field, and there's no reason why he can't spearhead this team to a similar season. To, I think to what Gasly had last year. What do we think about Alex Albon going in? I he's certainly uh, I think he's the most slept on of the uh, of the big three that are coming in from FIA F2 uh, between Norris and Russell. But, you know, from testimony, and, and they'll even say that of the, uh, of the young drivers that are coming up, they'll say that when, they, when it came to karting, Alex Albon was the best of them. And yes, we've seen that, you know, sometimes that always doesn't translate in the world of F1. He's, he's had a tough road. He almost quit after his first year in single-seaters, after Red Bull dropped him at the end of 2012. He fought his way back up the ladder. Uh, after podiums in Formula 3 in 2015, finished second in GP3 in 2016, had a bit of a tough time in 2017. Again, in 2018, at the start of the season, he was not confirmed to run the whole season with Dams. 
Then he puts on a championship challenge, gets the Nissan Adams drive, but then one more opportunity comes up at Formula One with Toro Rosso. So he has a somewhat awkward exit from the Formula E ranks before he ever gets started and comes into Formula One. And apart from that spin early in his first testing session, he's looked quick as well. He has looked quick. He has looked quick. And, you know, he's put some solid times together on, on the faster rubber. Um... I think there's a lot to like about this team going forward. Um, I think the question marks are going to be Honda. I think the question marks are going to be driver management. I think they're going to they 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 have to be thinking about you know trying to keep trying to keep Kvyat happy and motivated. But uh, I mean, King, where where do you see him? Oh God, like where, like I like Alex Albon. He's he's definitely the sleeper of the big three. Probably, I mean, of the you know the brat pack. Probably because you know. The, the flag next to his name is different than the other two, but... Yeah, we poke fun at this all the time during a certain <laughs> F2 Formula 1 broadcast when Alex did not get the same first name treatment as Lando and George. Yes, he was always Albon, not Alex, but uh, I, I think it'll, it'll boil down to Honda, because I... I Generally, heart of hearts, I think Albon's going to be better than Kvyat, and I love Daniel Kvyat, but but I think it's going to be down to whether they're just going to be, you know, the rolling test bed for the the big factory Red Bull team. Yeah, that's the other thing. Um, How Mm. much are Toro Rosso's results going to get sacrificed so they can do research and development for Red Bull up on top? Feed Max more. <laughs> Feed him more. More, I say. Um, yeah, that's also a very, very valid point to consider as well. That, uh, yeah, like they, they could easily be used as the guinea pigs for Honda, who we all know are, you know, taking the ambitious gamble of switching from Renault to Honda Power. More on them later on in the show. Um, me, personally... I think they could be the surprise package that could maybe finish fifth in the constructors if, if Honda backs them, if Red Bull lets them go about themselves, and I think again, I think the upside is definitely there. The car tends to be pretty light on its tires. Gasly got some some really really chunky point performances out of them over the year. Like there's a lot of upside in, in this in this team. I think they're they're a team that certainly knows what it's doing um, when the right scenario comes up. So I look forward to seeing what they can do. Um, and I'm very excited about Alex Albon. I think he's a great talent, and I, I can't wait to see how he turns out. London represent, ladies and gentlemen. Um, he did it for Prince Bira, and also for London. For London and St. George. Um, so, yes, the last team, uh, speaking of St. George, um, just in, in this case, St. Woking, the last team we had in this section is McLaren. Um, this is going to be an interesting section. Um, Carlos Sainz Jr. Uh, represents the lead car in the number 55, his fifth season in F1, his first after leaving um, uh, to to head to McLaren from the uh, Renault team. And Lando Norris, the rookie in the number four car, the 2018 runner-up in Formula 2 last year and still only 19 years of age. Um he, <sighs> Where do we start with these guys? Because, like, I think it might have been, like, the biggest surprise 
um, of the test that McLaren looked pretty goddamn solid out of the box for the first time in maybe three or four years. Um, that McLaren didn't have a reliability disaster, didn't have a potential driver concussed, didn't have three versions of their car smoking on pit exit. They they had one, but hey, most teams had one at some point. Progress. (laughs) Yeah, it's a step in the right direction. We'll go with that. And uh, yeah, like there's genuine... Like, I know a lot of McLaren fans on Twitter that have always tweeted me during this test. It's like, guys, this is the year... Start believing. Shout out to my man Callum, a can of iron brew, and to a friend of the show, Megan Candle, as well from F1 Racing Mag. Um, big McLaren fans, they've always been tweeting me, but this is going to be their year. King, is it going to be their year? <laughs> uh, it's going to be their year to be uh, to fight to be the best of the rest. I, <laughs> uh, I don't know about podiums or wins, but I, I'm pretty sure every race they finish, they'll be in the points. Yeah, a win they haven't gotten since 2012 with Jensen Button at the end of the season in Brazil. A podium they haven't gotten since the start of the 2014 season in Australia. It's going to be interesting. Um, mm. I think it's... the car. I think it certainly. The car certainly looks quick in terms of its one lap pace. I, I'm not sure if I trust how well that trait that race pace translates over into what we'll see over the next four races. Really, Bahrain and China are going to be the, the litmus test of these first four rounds. Again, they started the season great last year and then tailed off significantly towards the end. But again, they've cleared the decks. They'll have, they mm. have two new drivers. They will have a new team principal and Andreas Seidel coming in um, early on this season. Uh, everything feels different. It does feel different. It, it it feels like a different, more optimistic camp. Zach Brown isn't handling the day-to-day this time around. He's focusing on other McLaren projects. Can you say Triple Crown? Um, basically. Um, it, it, it feels different in the McLaren camp. It actually feels genuinely optimistic rather than just hope. And as Cam mentioned, this was well. James Key has now made the move over as well from Toro Rosso. And he... He had some. He had a, a very positive hand in a lot of of, of Toro Rosso's and Sauber's as well. His last car with Sauber yeah. was the one that nearly won in the hands of Perez and Kobayashi in 2012. Yeah, a genuinely very highly reputable um, you know team director and developmental guy. He's he's a brilliant guy to have in the back. Um, and also, I have to mention as well, this is a big and important year for Carlos Sainz, in, in my opinion. I think he's one of those guys that I, I, I call it in the make it, like the, the make, like the make it or break it club. And I think Carlos Sainz is probably that guy. Last year, Nico Hulkenberg single-handedly derailed the Carlos Sainz hype train, yeah. um, neutered, butchered it. Because hey, as much as you don't like him, he's a very good racing driver. <laughs> as much as we often forget that, and we don't want to give Hulkenberg credit because he's not a particularly likable human being. But hey, he's an excellent racing driver, and yeah, he de- he derailed the Carlos Sainz hype train, um, muzzled it basically on this one, and. Signs is now going over to a factory, a, a, a pseudo factory team in McLaren, who now also has another like A plus tier prospect in Lando Norris alongside him, who has a lot of backing and a lot of belief from McLaren, and I'd say F1 fans in general as the next British hope um, post Hamilton, whenever Hamilton decides to hang up the gloves. 
Um, this is going to be a tricky one for Carlos Sainz going forward. Is this a make or break here for Carlos? I think it so. feels like it. But we have to consider he was in the spot in 2015. Uh, Toro Rosso was expected to be the match for Stappen show. Yeah, maybe Carlos Sainz would impress. And as it turns out, they were actually closer match than most people might have uh, might have thought at the start of the season. Carlos is still mm. a very dependable and solid driver. My goodness, Lando Norris is uh, is stellar. I mean, the only championship oh, yeah. he didn't win in in single seaters was in Formula Two, and he still finished second. And he arguably had a more impressive performance that year of the World It's Twenty Four Daytona where he upstaged Fernando Alonso. Yes, that Fernando Alonso in the same car. Yeah, uh, from a guy who was born in December of 99. Um, yeah, still only 19 years of age as well. There's a lot of reason. Like, 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 get me wrong. It's very easy to drink the British Kool-Aid when it comes to their drivers, but with Lando Norris, it it's genuinely for good reason. He is an excellent driver, and he's only going to get better as time goes on. It's it's an exciting lineup. It's an exciting team. Question for you two. Is this team going to win Formula 1.5, excluding Renault, who I think are kind of in their own tier at this point? I don't know if they'll finish ahead of Renault. Um, so maybe fifth. Yeah. I is think, fifth the magic number here? Yeah. I think the ceiling is going to be fifth. Would that be cons- would, would that be considered a good season for McLaren? I think it will. If they're consistently in the midst for uh, for top sixes, top fives, uh, knocking on the door of a podium if they don't actually get one, uh, that'll be a better season. Yeah, I think I think I could see them finishing fifth. It will be a good year for McLaren. I don't know if the if the McLaren fandom at large will see it as a good year for McLaren if they finish fifth and don't get a podium. Podium might be lofty. Yeah, but I think of it like, uh, to use a, a American sporting example, you know, the Toronto Maple Leafs were always a team that felt like they were too proud to go into a rebuilding stage until they were literally forced into it, and it turned out they were a much better along for it. Now, having said that, and I know I'm the uh, the in-character resident Fernando Alonso stand of this podcast, um, he's going to be around the team. Is that good? I don't know if that's good. No, no, it's not good. It is is not. No, it's not, it's good. not good. No, nope. because nope. he's always made it clear that it's not a re- it's not a retirement from Formula One. He could come back. So you, so either driver on that team has that looming specter of possibly being replaced by two time world champion Fernando Alonso. This is still a thing. Forgot like Fernand like if, you know what Fernando Alonso is. He's the Tony Hawk of Formula One. Like Tony. Hang it up and stop making mediocre skateboarding games now, please. <laughs> like, we've had enough. Like, I might start a petition to get Tony Hawk to retire early the same way that Fernando Alonso probably just needs to go home at this point. Like, I-, I would love to see Fernando Alonso be a full-time driver in the IndyCar series. I'm pretty sure most people would. But I, would... I think it's more likely that he'd come back to Formula One before, be- before being full-time in IndyCar. His tea's gone cold, I'm wondering why Nando got out of bed at all. Um, yeah, sorry for my terrible singing there. Um, I, I think... It just goes, Dre! <laughs> um, oh, dear. It's like, that was the Elton John version. Much better. Um, but <laughs> but uh, fringe points and... like Podium might be lofty. I don't think they'll get a podium. Um, I think, 
I think they're finishing sixth. I think sixth is about right. I think Haas and Renault, I think, are going to be one step too far for them, I think. But personally, that would not be a bad result. And as Cam pointed out, they were ninth last year. <laughs> like, there's a... There's a lot of scope for improvement here, okay? Like, so, like sixth would not be a bad season for McLaren, all things considered. Um, so, you know, sixth, uh, well, I think, wouldn't be a bad way to go. Again, a lot of excitement in that camp, though, and for good reason, which is nice, because McLaren's not had that for a good couple of years. Um, not, probably not since 2015, when it was still the Alonso, um, Alonso Jensen Button Dream Team sitcom, uh, basically. Stealing your podiums and Nando becoming F1's greatest meme, basically. Um, sounds like fun. Um, right, let's take a quick interlude from previewing team by teams, and let's take a great big old look at the 2019 F1 calendar. <laughs> It is a chunky boy this year. 21 races again, just like last season. And for the first time in Formula 1 history, a race in December. Ah, good lord. Um, let's break it down. So, as you know, the Australian Grand Prix this weekend at, at Melbourne Grand Prix Albert Park on March 17th. Um, fun times there. Two weeks later, we head to Bahrain the, um, in Sakir, the Bahrain International Circuit. That's on March 31st. Two weeks after that, uh, again, unchanged, we go to China for round for three in Shanghai. For the 1,000th Formula One mm-hmm. Grand Prix. They're not going to market the shit out of this at all. Not a chance. Not with Liberty Media's fancy graphics and sonic identities. Um, so yeah, race number Grand Prix race number 1,000 for Formula One will be the Chinese Grand Prix on April 14th. Watch when Lewis Hamilton wins it by half a minute. Um, as of, uh, two weeks later after that, Azerbaijan just kick off the, and I say this in inverted commas, Europeans chunk of the season um, in Baku. Um, they will welcome us again on April 28th. Um, two, two weeks after that, the Spanish Grand Prix at Catalonia on May 12th. Then we go to Monaco on May 26th. Um, Again, I'm surprised there's a lack of back-to-back so far, which is kind of so weird as well to, to spot as well. Canada on June 9th at the Circuit Gilles Villeneuve in Montreal, of course. We go back to Paul Ricard, the second year of its return to the F1 calendar. Man, it's so nice to have France on the calendar again. Um, that's that's on June 23rd. That's the first of a double header. The week after that, we head back to Spielberg and the hills being alive with the sound of Formula 1 at the Austrian Grand Prix at the Red Bull Ring the home of rich energy um two weeks after that um we go back to britain for the overpriced british grand prix at silverstone on july 14th that will be the one f1 race that will be free to air for you for united kingdom viewers out there live probably on sky one and channel four most likely sigh <laughs> that'll be july 14th Two weeks after that one, we start a, a, a if you have another back-to-back doubleheader starting off with the German Grand Prix. We're going back to Hockenheim, everybody. Seb, please don't put it in the wall. Um, that'll be on July 28th. That is the first part of a doubleheader um, with the Hungarian Grand Prix. I'm not going to pronounce it the X Matty G way like he always does. Um, that'll be on August 4th. That is the start of the one-month-long summer break. We return. For the Belgian Grand Prix, which is weird to say the Belgian Grand Prix is in September. 
September 1st. Yeah, it's usually um, like late August. I know, big big difference. Uh, like it's, it's like it's 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 just the visual image of it. It's like September first, Belgium, really. <laughs> That's the, again another doubleheader. That is the that is the Belgian Grand Prix at Spa Francorchamps. Again a week after that, back to Monza um, for the Italian Grand Prix. That's on September eighth. A couple of weeks after that, we fly off to Singapore for the Marina Bay. Uh, Singapore Grand Prix, that is on September 22nd. That's the first part of another back-to-back weekend round, um, the final European round, technically. Um, The Russian Grand Prix on September 29th at the Sochi Autodrome. A couple of weeks after that, we fly to my personal favourite, Suzuka, the Japanese Grand Prix, um, on October 13th. Um, two weeks after that, we go to Mexico for the Autodromo Hermanos Rodriguez in Mexico City on October 27th. That is another back-to-back with the United States Grand Prix at the Circuit of the Americas in Austin, Texas on November 3rd. Two weeks after that, the Brazilian Grand Prix at the at, at Interlagos on November 17th. And, as I mentioned earlier, the final round, the season finale at the As Marina in Abu Dhabi on December 1st. Um, yeah, a, a, a December Grand Prix in Formula 1. That is still a mind-boggling concept that the season is now getting so big and bloated that we're now getting Grand Prix in December. Um, it's, I mean... General thoughts on the calendar, folks? Um, Just one change in the order from last year. Uh, Mexico and the U.S. have swapped places where now Mexico precedes the U.S. instead of the other way around. Mexico is also one of the tracks that does not have a calendar for 2020, along with Silverstone, Hockenheim, Monza, and Catalonia. I think most of that will get sorted out. Really, the only question is Mexico for 2020 at this point. Yeah. Yeah, due to all the due to the circuit disagreements and the falling outs and the missing of deadlines, we'll see how badly Chase Carey wants to uh, <clears throat> chase that one up. Um, oh. And see, sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> I know I deserve that one. Um, <laughs> um, and of course, like, what is going to happen with Vietnam joining the calendar next year, and still the possibility of Miami hanging over F1's heads as well? Are we going to get? The first ever 22-round season next year. Maybe 23. 22! Oh, man! 22! Oh, man! Yeah, probably. Maybe. Like, and that probably... That, like, if that happens, probably the season preview episode would be, like, sometime a couple weeks ago. (laughs) I know, right? Like, it's, it's, it's getting close to the point where it's like... Like, is this healthy? (laughs) <laughs> like, it's, it's, like, cause, like, being the bike guy, right? Uh, as well, like, I've, I've, I've spoken out against this in bike racing because if anyone follows MotoGP, um, they go into the to the Kimi ring, not the Kimi ring, um, in <laughs> yes. in in Finland next year. It looks like Indonesia is getting a Grand Prix in 2021. That was confirmed this past weekend in Qatar. But Kamala Esperalto, um, president of Dorna, CEO of Dorna, was down there to confirm that agreement um, this past weekend. It's like, and I've said it before, like 18 rounds was kind of the breaking point for MotoGP before guys were getting really hurt out there. Like, people don't realize by the time you get to Valencia, the end of the MotoGP season in, in early November, everybody is dinged up and hurt. <laughs> like, 
a lot of people are nursing niggling injuries. The, the main story was how many times is Marquez's shoulder going to pop out, basically, by the time we got to the end of the season. And I worried that doing more back-to-backs and having 19, 20, maybe 21 rounds on a MotoGP calendar of them trying to emulate F1 is going to result in guys getting hurt. Now, obviously, the physical risk isn't quite the same in Formula 1, but yeesh, like... Again, we've said it before, Chase wants 25. He wants it to be a bit more like NASCAR, where there's races almost every week through the summer, and, like, I I don't know. But, of course, the the thing is, with NASCAR, it's domestically based. The same thing with CART, at their height of popularity, when they had about 20 races in the calendar, it was almost all domestically based, apart from Surfer's Paradise. Uh, with F1, you're traveling all around the world, so there's a great logistical risk as well, and that could put a lot of stress and strain on your smaller teams, your Williams, mm. your Racing Points, your Haas, and the like. Yeah, like, it's it's another unfortunate drawback of being one of the smaller teams. You haven't got the resources to cope with such a large calendar, and of course, from a human standpoint, it sucks being away from your family for that long. Like, you're going to be constantly on the road, and like... There's not much room to make the F1 calendar much bigger unless you want to start in February like World Superbikes does. Yes. And even then... Yeah, and you e- have and to even, start yeah. in February. Uh, a lot of the races you have to add would have to be in Europe so you could do something like NASCAR or Carted, mm. where Because in Europe they operate pretty much just like NASCAR where they, where they drive out to every single race. Yeah, you you need to cluster more of the European rounds together. And you'd probably have, like we got in F1 last year, where you had a couple of triple headers, like three races in three weeks sort of moments. Uh, you know, all the talk about Lewis Hamilton becoming the first guy to win four Grand Prix in a month a couple of years ago. Um, you know, that was crazy. And I think we could be seeing more of that soon. I'm not sure that's healthy, personally, but... Hey, that's F1 for you. That's the traveling circus, and it's only set to get bigger in 2019 and beyond, quite frankly. Because again, it's looking like we're going to get Vietnam and <laughs> Vietnam and uh, Miami, a second American round. And they're talking 20- about uh, possibly the Dutch Grand Prix returning to Zandvoort. Zandvoort needs a lot of work, though, doesn't it? Uh, not as much, because like they they host DT. Well, they used to host DTM. Pretty much, it's mainly the facilities around the track. Right. This is, this is, like, are we trying hard to get max two home rounds a year now? It's yeah, like, yeah. We, we saw Belgium and was like, oh, we want a second slice of that pie. Uh, right. Well, the Iron Tide, I guess. Yeah, it's like, yeah. We, we'd love to have a Grand Prix like half an hour away from, from Amsterdam. Sounds about right. Mm, you know, that's, that's fun. Um... Okay, so that's the calendar for you. Um, so let's get back into reviewing these 2019, I should say, Formula One teams. Right, Mr. O'Connell, I see an error in your set list. I, I don't see a sponsor next to Hass F1 team. <laughs> we are not acknowledging the presence of sponsors who will not pay us uh, to be a part of their program and will not send us drinks for us to endorse on our program. It's Rich Energy Hass F1 team. I feel dirty just saying that. Ugh. 
It's it's like saying Voldemort. You don't speak his name in the first two. Like you basically heard his name in the first three Harry Potter movies. Um, Hashtag better than Red Bull. I, even just saying that just makes me cringe. Yes, rich energy has F1 team. No, I still don't quite believe they've made it this far either. Um, Romain Grosjean returns. Actually, both drivers return. Romain Grosjean in the number eight car in his ninth F1 season. Kevin Magnussen, his teammate, who was one of the real breakout stars of 2018 last season. He returns as well in the number 20 car for his fifth F1 season. And... Uh, Interesting test from these guys. Like very, very interesting. They like, flew under the radar. A lot of speed, a lot of technical problems, um, mm-hmm. and a lot of hype, mostly from their title sponsors, um, <laughs> which probably wasn't actually the most ideal scenario. Pietro Fittipaldi um, got a, got a fair amount of running time in the car, which is nice to see. It was just nice to see a Fittipaldi in a black F1 car again, quite frankly. Um, that was nice. Uh, <laughs> Got to be honest. Um, but this is another one of those teams where I'm not entirely sure, like where, like where they stand on this one. Mm-hmm. That's what no, it feels you're right. like. You're you're right there. I think. Uh... Even Will Butston, who was covering testing for both weeks, uh, you know, he said that you know, at this point last year, we were thinking, "Are Haas the class of the midfield?" At this point, we're thinking, "Where do Haas stack up now?" Because when they're good, they were the best team of the non uh, of the non Big Three. Oh, definitely. Of course, then they threw away twenty two points in Melbourne. <laughs> um, they still have the potential. I think the car is still certainly quick enough. The Ferrari power unit still rival car they have two experienced drivers who on their day are very very capable of scoring top five finishes or threatening for podium finishes um but it's a matter of the competence of their rivals around them uh can they still continue to be this good around that fourth fifth place level that's going to be an interesting question i mean cam sums it up i think best for me in the discord or he calls it the glass cannon team that's what it feels like. They they have very good speed. I'm not entirely convinced on the reliability of the car just yet, and they have they have a lot of their their team is shall we say volatile. You've got Grosjean, who on his day is still an excellent driver, but was wildly inconsistent last year in race form. And Kevin Magnussen, who was excellent last season, but still had moments of real stupidity. Um, <laughs> Um, and again, moments where it's like, this guy is the most aggressive driver in the field on occasion. Um, at least Verstappen cleaned a lot of his image up towards the end of last season. K-Mag is still out here running dudes into walls and off tracks. Um, and that is alarming. Like, if Magnussen wants to, wants to take that next step towards being, you know, possibly bona fide contender for future big boy seats... He's got to he's got to get that element of his game away because he's endangering people with some of these moves. Um, I I haven't forgotten what he did to Pierre Gasly in Baku, where I just I watched in horror on that one as he almost ran him into the wall at 200 mph, um, which was terrifying. Same to Charles Leclerc in Japan, and yeah, like this team is volatile for me. I think is the best way I can sum it up. And we haven't even covered Gunther Steiner and his <laughs> proficiency for colorful language, which you can watch on the Netflix series uh, Drive to Survive. Yeah, 
I'll be, I'll be watching that and I'll be reporting back in a couple of weeks' time on that one. But yeah. uh, I'm pretty sure I'm, the, the keen eye of, of you who've seen that show will uh, notice a certain cameo from, from a previous guest of this podcast. Oh my god, I was just about to mention that Patrick Hofstetter got a one-second cameo! Patrick was in it? Yes, Patrick was in it for like a second. How did Pat get into that? I'm jealous of him. Like, legitimate TV star Patrick Hofstetter. It's like that one time I was brought in to talk esports on Ginix. That's the one thing me and Pat have in common now. We're both we've, we're both TV stars. Uh, gotta love it. But um, King, what do you make of this team at the moment? Ooh. America's team, shall we say? America's team, brought to you by an energy drink you can't get in America. <laughs> Part of me, it's this weird anti-hype that Rich Energy is creating where it's like, I don't think they're as good as they are because Rich Energy is hyping them up. But, oh god, I think I... I think they are pretty good. They're pretty good. Is John Boy's team director? Yes, yes. <laughs> Sounds I, good. I would, actually, I would actually love to see that. Um, it's, it's kind of this weird thing. I mean, I'm... Not the hugest uh, proponent of uh, one William Story, but I, I do believe that on his day, Roman Grosjean is a exceptional driver. He should have multiple Grand Prix wins by this point. Yep. Captain Magnuson, should we should we not forget that at one point he was the golden child of McLaren's junior program, as Lando Norris once was? Oh, yeah. The future. <laughs> as Stoffel Van Dorn once was, too. <laughs> Even in Formula E, he's still cursed. Ugh, the curse of Stoffel will never be lifted. Um, we need we need to get a little B on that one to lift to lift the curse of uh, of Stoffel Van Dorn. If, if you can out here curse NBA teams, you can you can uncurse our Formula One brethren. Basically, <laughs> me personally, I think they're locked into fifth. I think they are a good enough team to score big points on regular occasions to be in that like that maybe ma- that magical five to seven range is like the best of the rest. Um, essentially, um, I, I, that's where I think they should be. They should be aiming, I think, for maybe 120 to 150 points and really should be challenging Renault for best of the rest in that P4 spot because they could have gotten up there if it wasn't for Australia and their two silly DNFs they had, or two, sorry, disqualifications, I should say, DNQs, I should say, really. Yep. <laughs> um, uh, more than uh, DNFs on that one, that's worse. <laughs> Jeez. Um, but, I think top five should be the minimum aim for the quote-unquote better than Red Bull team from Austria. Um, just throwing that out there, but uh, that's what I think anyway. I think it'll be tough. Uh, I it wouldn't surprise me if they were still in fifth place at the end of the season. It also wouldn't su- surprise me if, through no fault of their own, they slump back to eighth. Though they still have a good card, it would just be the matter of everybody else around them stepping up their game. Whew. We'll have to wait and see on that one. Oh boy, a lot of excitement there. Uh, now this is an interesting. I think this might be the team that might have shot for the moon a little bit too hard here. The Icarus team, if, if those Wipeout fans out there, <laughs> Alfa Romeo Racing. <laughs> oh, yeah, the, the Salba's not here anymore, kids. He's only here in spirit, technically. Um, Alfa Romeo Racing in the number seven car. Wait, 
That's not Charles Leclerc. Um, it's Kimi Raikkonen, the uh, 2007 Formula One World Champion, and as RJ puts in his notes, senior driver of circuit. Uh, isn't he 39 this year? Yeah. yeah. Actually, uh, this uh, not to will actually, but will actually on October 17th he turns 40 years old. He will surpass Lord. 300 starts uh, and 300 Grand Prix appearances this season. Good health, willing. Um, Kimmy's been at this for a while. He has. Just, just, just a tad. Like, I think this is, what, his 18th season now? Something like that? I think he debuted yeah, no one and missed a he couple. Missed, uh, yeah, he missed a couple of seasons. Jeez. He was sitting out the rest of his McLaren contract. So, so yeah, geez. So, like, if, assuming he stays healthy for the year, he'll be in the 300 club. I think it, what the, I want to say the fifth member of the 300 club. Yeah, um, it's, all, it's only a few. It's Button, Alonso, uh, Barrichello, and Schumacher. Yeah, jeez, three hundred club member number five. Scary thought. His teammate in the ninety nine car this year. Um, technically a rookie, even though kind of sort of not really. Antonio Giovinazzi is back. The twenty sixteen uh, GP two runner up, um, and is back for his second bite of the cherry after a brief uh, temporary stint at the Salba team. Um, a couple of years ago, um, that very impressive 12th place he had in Australia on his debut when he had to fit in for Pascal Verlein on basically 36 hours notice um, and a not-so-great weekend in China. Um, so, yeah, like lot to look forward to here. And, again, this has probably been, like, the surprise team we've tested in terms of just sheer performance. Yes. Um, Salbo looked very impressive and very comfortable, pretty much all test long. Um, a couple of minor act, act, um, spins and tweaks here and there, but overall, like on in terms of raw speed, very quick indeed, fellas. Yeah, they had a very impressive package centered around a highly unconventional front wing design that seems to work extremely well. <laughs> It does, doesn't it? I mean, geez. Um, <laughs> oh, like although Cam just did just drop a clanger in the Discord where he says very much worth worrying about. Though it's reported that the update package brought for the second week was a significant step back to the point that the week one package is what's on the car coming into Australia. I wonder if that's why Kimi Raikkonen was so uncertain about where they sit at the moment. Probably. And for those who haven't read Kimi when questioned about. Where he feels, uh, where he feels, uh, Alfa Romeo are in terms of the pecking order. He said it's a big mystery. Mm. But I will say this: it's refreshing that this organization, you know, after years in the basement, uh, really, really took a massive step forward in 2018. And you know, going into testing, there was talk that you know there could be even greater prospects. I think that hype is kind of chilled a little bit. Um, because, again, we don't really know where this team stands. Obviously, yes, Kimi Raikkonen, uh, still at 39 years old last year, was a, was a great driver, good enough to win races, pole positions. But how long can he keep doing that is the question. And while Antonio Giovinazzi is kind of this, he would qualify for Rookie of the Year under Letter of the Law in ba Major League Baseball or NASCAR. Um, when he is on his game... He is as good as any of the top prospects on the sport, but he has had flashes of inconsistency, not just in his stint in 2017, but in his test driver outings in 2017 and 18 across mm. both Haas, Sauber, and Ferrari. 
Jury's still out on Gio for me. Um, it's gonna be it's gonna be tough. And again, you got a very experienced um, journeyman as a teammate. And like, let's be real, Raikkonen was very good last season. Yeah, like, really yeah. good. Yeah, like Raikkonen has has gotten better and better with these hybrids as the years have gone on. He started out pretty patchy in twenty fourteen. He he was on the brink of arguably losing his job. That was very valid cases you can make for guys like Hulkenberg instead. Um, around 2015-16, but Ferrari stuck by him. They kept the faith, and they were rewarded with good points towards the end of last season. Um, he really did turn the corner. Got his first win and pole position since coming back. Uh, well, not coming back, but at least joined, since rejoining Ferrari at least in last season. And it's a very good team on paper. It's a and the car looks solid. And it's just I think it's the fear of the unknown with Sauber that makes me worry a little bit because. This like the potential is is so high with with this team and this group of guys where we know they can shoot for the moon they and they have done on numerous occasions. Right. They're on a massive uh, recruitment drive right now. They have a manufacturer name. Uh, but if you've checked out Formula1.com's recent articles of best case worst case scenarios, um, it does say in Alfa Romeo's. Um, you know, having a works team name is not the same thing as being a works team. They have a new name, they have a new star driver, but they're going to have serious work to do if they want to stay where they are and improve from where they were in twenty at the end of 2018. <laughs> Sorry, I have to laugh a little bit because I just checked my phone on Snapchat and one Lewis Sudderby sent me a snap of a bunch of people going crazy in a pub in Barcelona as Juventus have come back from 2-0 down to lead 3-2 in the Champions League against Atletico Madrid. Um... It's safe to say the few Madrid fans that are in Barcelona are very happy. Had to get that one in. We miss you, Lewis. Um, but uh, that was actually uh, that's actually pretty hilarious. Um, but uh, I don't know. Oh, I I don't know. This is going to be. I, they could finish fourth. They could finish eighth, and it wouldn't surprise me either way. That's 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 the crazy thing about about Alfa Romeo here. Like, they have all the potential in the world, but again, it's just that fear of the unknown and the unproven nature of them at this level um, that makes me cautious on this one. I don't know. Like, it's 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 really hard to nail that one down for me. Um, I, I don't know. That's going to be really tricky. King, anything? <laughs> yeah, I'd probably say it's hard to know where they are because... The midfield is real, real crazy. Mm-hmm. Like, I could see them probably finishing as high as maybe a reach is would be fifth. I don't see them being, again, just like Haas. I don't see I, I I place their chances of being best of the rest lower than Haas, but I think at, you know, at their best, they could be fifth. Is that a quote from Autos? What you just put in the chat there, RJ? No, no this was uh, this was from that best case, worst case uh, article from Matt Yusin on uh, FormulaOne.com. Mm. Uh, it said towards the end of the test, uh, they were lower midfield in their uh, in their race simulations. Uh, again, their their floor is that they're at the back of the midfield ahead of Williams, of course. But again, their potential is that they are probably the fourth best team in the sport uh, if Kimi Raikkonen can continue to prove. And I think. Again, I think if he strings it together, Antonio Giovinazzi could be as good, if not better, than the other three rookies in the field. 
And he certainly has the equipment to show a lot of potential. Yeah, and that's part of what supports the week two package was a step back issue, says Cam in this call, which again makes perfect sense. Um, yeah, so where, where that's kind of my biggest worry about Alpha Romeo, where they might have a good package starting out the season, but again, developments aren't always improvements. Indeed. Um, ask Ferrari about that one last season. Um, but uh, yeah, that's Alfa Romeo racing for you. One more team before we get into the big boys, and that is the pseudo big boy in the middle of it all. It's Renault F1 team. And uh, King, give us give us another verse of Le Marcier. <laughs> oh, nah, I, I think I'm holding out until they... <laughs> they get up on you. Yeah. Uh-huh. What do you what do you, you mean know what, what it is? What do you mean until? <laughs> He's going to be in for a long wait. But um a lot of hype in the room here folks because Renault made the big boy move, replacing number 55 Carlos Sainz, number 3, the internet's people's champion himself and the king of first Daniel Ricardo. Oh. <laughs> like it's also quite scary to see it's Daniel Ricardo's ninth season in Formula One already. Where the hell is this? Does the time gone? <laughs> Holy shit! Um, he, he, like people, people forget in Abu Dhabi, he hit he hit the one hundred and fifty race club. That's uh, scary. Yeah, Daniel Ricardo in the number three car alongside a uh, long established number twenty seven, Mister Nico Hulkenberg in there. Um, I love it. And again, Nico, like Roger had to put it in here. One hundred and fifty six starts without a podium finish. Sigh. <sighs> I, again, a lot of like this team just seemed to plod along in testing more than anything else. I don't think they ever really stood out all that much. I think they were, I think they were slow burning it a lot. We had a big accident for Ricardo and his DRS wing completely broke off the rear of the car. That wasn't nice. Um, but. Cyril Abitable made it quite clear. He thinks they've got the best driver partnership in the grid. Um, it's up there. I'll say that much. <laughs> yeah, like it's certainly up there. It, when they're on it, they're both excellent drivers, especially Daniel Ricciardo, who is spectacular on his day. There's no doubt about that. Um, one of the real dynamite drivers in the field. One of the most entertaining guys you can have in the sport when everything is plugged in. Um... Hmm. But, is their car good enough to trouble the big three? I'm not convinced. It has to be, though, this year. Because they're they're in year four of a five-year development plan. They've got a Marte driver who's won Grand Prix next to another driver who many people should have won multiple Grand Prix by this point. Uh, in testing, they didn't real. They just went about their business. They didn't try and set any headline-grabbing times. They were just working on getting the reliability. And you know, maybe they're the third quickest team in testing, but that's also due to Red Bull flopping their lines a little bit. Um, you know, that's where they would ideally like to be after four years of constant improvements, picking up more points after more points with each successive season. Uh, now is the time for them to close the gap to the Red Bulls, the Ferraris, the Mercedes of the world. Or at the very least, to prevent Red Bull from being able to justify the right for ditching Renault. Yeah, not to mention dropping $20 million a year on Daniel Ricciardo to headline your team. Like, that's... You're paying Ricciardo elite driver money. You're expecting elite-level results. 
it's basically like when Fernando Alonso came back to Renault. It's like you're expecting him to lead the charge, charge and bring that car into play in areas it probably doesn't deserve to be on paper. Like, that's the sort of magnitude you're putting on Daniel Ricciardo. And I'm not entirely sure he's on that level where he can bring a bad, a, a relatively bad car into play. Because we know Renault is still probably about seven or eight temps off where they probably need to be to be thinking about regular podiums. Um, and, oh, it, it probably doesn't help that, uh, again, as Cam pointed out, and this was a breaking news story that came through a couple of weeks ago, like, does not help the uh, Renault brand at all. Infinity's just quit Europe. <laughs> long live the Alliance. Yeah, long live the Alliance. Justin Westbrook from Jalopnik posted this a few minutes ago, um, saying, Facing dismal sales and an uncertain Brexit outcome, Infinity has announced it's pulling out of Western Europe altogether. It's not very surprising for Nissan's luxury brand, one that struggled to find its foot in an identity for years now, to move out of Europe as the brand sales in that market slipped down to just 5,800 vehicles, or almost half of what it sold the year before, according to Reuters. Um, here's more. Infinity said it will discontinue the Q30 and QX30 Sport and cease their production by the middle of 2019 at Nissan's manufacturing factory in Sunderland. Both models are sold globally but only produced only in Britain. The move comes if Infinity seeks to divert its resources to markets with bigger opportunities such as China and the US from a region where non-European premium brands are struggling to compete against local players such as Audi, BMW and Mercedes-Benz. Nissan also recently scrapped to build its new X-Trail SUV in Britain amid the uncertainties surrounding Brexit, saying it had taken the decision to optimise its investments by building the next generation model in Japan. Infinity also cited Brexit when it reversed plans to build the new X-Trail in Britain earlier this year, Reuters reports, and a company representative also pointed out the brand's difficulty keeping up with the region's regulatory requirements. They are now focusing on SUVs and electrifying its model lineup, literally targeting the US and Chinese markets. Mm. Not yeah. great. <sighs> yeah, it's like it's like going to my corner of the world. Uh, there's tough times at Nissan and the Nissan Reto Alliance. Uh, so now the luxury brand is leaving Europe. Uh, the CEO has just gotten out of jail. Um, and through all that, Reto still has to put together a team that is capable of breaking through that Formula 1.5 gap. Yeah. They've got the personnel to do it, but will it come together? I'm going to tentatively say no. This year, definite no. Uh, Next year, uh, I don't know. Still probably a no from me on that one. I think it's going to take a seismic shift, like a regulation change which is coming in 2021, I think, before we really see any major movement with the big three. And I don't think Renault... like. Like an F1 team finding seven temps in a year where a rules, but a rule book generally remains the same, like would be unheard of. Basically, I don't, I can't see it happening. I think they're locked into fourth. I think Ricardo might get a couple of fourth places for the prosperity for the prosperity of it all. Um, I, I can't see him making further inroads than that. I, I, I think even a podium for him might be a big reach. Um. That's how I see it anyway. And uh, look, Fashion Police has called him for king. Um, <laughs> Someone's in the background there. Yeah. Sorry, guys. <laughs>
before we get into the big teams, should we talk about some of the rules and regulation changes, boys? Ooh. Yep, and we got some hot off the press, as in hot laps. Fast laps, if you will, that are now worth points. Ugh. A point for fastest lap as long as you finish the race in the top ten. Taken from the Formula E rule set. Because <laughs> so what do we? Because we haven't talked about this before. Because it came up a couple of days ago. This was confirmed. What do we make of this one, fellas? Uh, I think it's fine. I think it's fine. Yeah, I I like that it's. Um, I guess I like that it's top ten only. Although you know, you maybe let the let the littler teams that maybe don't have a regular chance of points have a little bit of fun for crying out loud. I mean, Formula One is always subject to change. Uh, I think uh, it, it is. I think at that point, gimmicky. I think at that point, if you're asking, like, uh, you know, the common complaints I see, it's like, how come cars outside the top ten can't get it? Uh, give the little teams a shot, and it's like one point isn't that much for the smaller teams. And if it is, and you want the smaller teams to get a look in, why don't you just? give more point-paying positions, because the only thing that, you know, giving points to cars outside the top ten is going to cause is probably a London E-Pre 2016 scenario. Time trials, kids. Time trials. Get your time trials right here. Fibber gets fastest lap, wins the championship, etc. Um, like, uh, like imagine, imagine last year at the German Grand Prix where, you know, say Sebastian Vettel goes off at at the carousel there, but doesn't beach the car, but he's pretty much at the back of the field. You know what he's gonna do? Try to get that fastest lap point. And it's like, oh, I thought this point was meant for the little teams. No, it's meant for whoever's the fastest. Yeah. Yeah, I... Yeah, you're right, dear. Uh, should we talk about tires? Um, we have five different compounds, and they're all going to have the, uh, they're all gonna be soft, medium, and hard. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's 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 totally not confusing. Yeah, it's it's extremely simple. Like literally, if you're complaining about if you're complaining about rules being too complicated and not simple enough, number one, this this Formula One, right? <laughs> like we're 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 not we're not you know, no offense to bicycle, right? we're not racing bicycles. You don't just get on and pedal. How dare you diss, diss the world of cycling? Um, but uh, no, like I said, it's it's soft, medium, hard. Pirelli, have, uh, like the review of their Australia tyre selection calendar, they're still going to put the compound choices in brackets as well, so you can work out exactly what compound it would have been between one and five, depending on how soft the tyre is for you really big nerds out there. So hopefully... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's it, it basically caters to both parties. You caters to the guys that are a little bit more simple. Um, it, on, on the face of it, it's a lot more straightforward. Um, but if you want to scratch beneath the surface, you can still work out what compounds are being chosen for what. Just it's, like it pleases how everybody. I'm fine with it. Before the colored compounds, I know, right? It's great. Yeah, but now they, but now the colors are all the same, so it's different. <laughs> Um, on those lines. We have uh, two different driver safety uh, changes. We have new standard driver helmets, and we also have um, we also have a new uh, weight limit to encourage drivers not to weight cut severely. Dear God, please, thank God. Um, like seeing stories about people like Adrian Sutil and Mark Webber basically having to starve themselves to fit in the car. 
um, Marcus Ericsson not bringing a drinks bottle before going into a race. Don't do that. Like yeah, Driver weights are no longer considered when measuring the minimum weight of the car, and any driver who weighs less than 80 kilograms, that's 180 pounds in freedom units, will have to make this weight up with ballast located around the seat. Fine by me. Like, please have healthy drivers, and let's stop punishing guys for being naturally, as my mother would say, big-boned. <laughs> um basically like yeah i'm delighted for this rule because i've been talking about like being an mma fan seeing like some of the horror stories about weight cutting um for quite some time and just how unhealthy it can potentially be um and seeing some crossover between that and formula one was very alarming so i'm genuinely delighted to hear that f1's taken a step to mitigate that and um so yeah good stuff there yeah we've got uh We've got new look F1 mirrors. Uh, we've got aerodynamics changes primarily around the front wing that are in theory supposed to make the racing closer and do away with some of that dirty air. In theory, we'll see how this plays out as the season progresses. Yeah, Kevin Again, Magnuson in testing has been pretty hopeful. Yeah, I, I would say that Melbourne is always a tricky track to pass. Your real litmus tests are going to be once we get to Bahrain, China, Barcelona, tracks of that nature. It's open. Are we all good with the rules changes so far? Yeah, more or less. I'm like, I, I'm not entirely comfortable with like the fastest lap rule. I'm kind of indifferent to it. Like I said, like, uh, like people, people saying, you know, bat for the little teams. Like, come on now, this is Formula One. <laughs> like, like, are you new here? Um, but I, I, I think. You should probably be better off rewarding three points for the ultimate fastest lap contest. You know, qualifying. But, um. <laughs> no, no, we should not be giving points for Paul. <laughs> hey, Formula E can do it. They're, 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 more, they're more than king. They're the hey, future. Hey, we give out points for Anyone opposition. can get pole in Formula E. Even HWA. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not a fan of it. And I don't. I like. Basically, I don't want like it's I don't want to see what teams like Kevin Magnuson was doing in Singapore last year where it's like you're just gonna have a, a run on the softest compound tire just because you want the five second publicity of setting fastest lap I don't like that and I don't want that incentivized yeah basically because when the fastest lap point is the only point you would be able to get that's what it would cause like oh I'm, I'm outside the top 10 guess it's time to shoot fastest lap yeah, like, you, you could be having a terrible race, you could be two laps down, potentially, with this rule. Like, or you could still be a lap down, given, again, the way F1 is these days, that, like, the top six can lap people um, <laughs> up, up into up into the points, deep into the points. So, I would have, well, I would rather, I'd rather it have been on the lead lap rather than top ten as a no, better no. compromise. Like, but, top ten is a... Is- a safe bet because you can't take an extra pit stop for fresh tires without losing a position in the top 10. Yeah, I, I, I just don't want like dummy runs late in races to be the standard so you can that's the only way you can get a point even though you're terrible in the race. I don't like that. Um, so yeah, it's okay, I guess. Everything else we'll have to wait and see in practice, I think, like rather than just in theory. Um, so yeah. Uh, should we get into the big three, boys? Ooh, it's gonna get spicy. Let's do it. 
Yep, get, cue the drum rolls and the music. We'll be back in a minute to talk about the big three. <laughs> Gentlemen, cover your cover your ears, avert your eyes. Welcome to the Red Bull situation here. Red Bull Racing Honda in the 33 car. The moment you've all been waiting for, folks. Max Verstappen, team leader. Year five for Max Verstappen. Um, five wins to his name. Was fourth in the championship last year. His teammate bumped up from Toro Rosso in the number 10 car, Pierre Gasly. His second full season in F1 already in the Red Bull seat. His first year with Red Bull, again, coming up from Toro Rosso. And, well, this is going to be a team of hope. It's like, <laughs> if, if Red Bull can get their shit together early enough... There's no reason to, to think that Verstappen can't be a title contender. That's my opinion. Um, but the problem is, Red Bull, it seems to be the same story every year with Red Bull. They start slow, their package out of the box isn't great, but they seem to get it together by the end of the season. They seem to be the winners of the development race every year, but they, they always start too slow, and by that point, they're, they're basically, they've left it too late, essentially. And... Is that going to be the case again this year, boys? Because it feels like Red Bull are kind of like still away behind the big two. Yeah, it does. It just—it feels like they're going to be locked into third place. Yeah, it feels like they're going to be, you know, floating in the ocean between two coasts. Because I, I don't care how how good the Red Bull chassis may be. If there's if they still have any power deficit of any kind, they're they're on a back foot. I think they I think and again, it's only testing and this relationship can go sideways very quickly, but everybody at the Red Bull Brass is optimistic of where they are. Again, we'll see how this plays out towards the middle of the season. Um they did not look to be that quick out of the box in testing, but they set their best time on much harder compounds. Their fastest outright lap in Barcelona was on a was on a harder compound tire. So I think there is some untapped performance in the car. And you know, we slain the stereotype that the Honda power units are you know, there's there's they're competent power units now. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how I feel about this team. And I and well, where does Pierre Gasly fit into all this? Because, like, Gasly had a solid year last year at Toro Rosso. Had some fantastic performances in there as well. Like, I fear for Gasly because I have a feeling he's going to be roadkill if Verstappen has another second half of... Like, 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 like he had the second half of last year. If Verstappen has that again, Gasly might be in big trouble and he might be fed mm. to the lambs, just like Dino uh, Kvyat was. And that's what worries uh, me. I don't know about that because Gasly's the one with all the Honda experience and that certainly helps in a year where you're taking on a new engine supplier. Um, Pierre Gasly is no slouch either. He was runner-up in Formula Renault 3.5 to 1 aforementioned Carlos Sainz. He was the GP2 Series champion defeating, you know, the likes of uh, Antonio Giovinazzi uh, who was previously mentioned on the show. He's a good driver. He's got good stock. He also had a pretty horrible testing. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, there is that too. That's what also worries me. 
because it's like, uh, it, I, again, I don't even really think that was more or less his fault per se. It wasn't like he was constantly throwing the car in the bushes. <laughs> no, he, no, but he did have two significant offs. That's the plus part of the problem. Here. I, I'm worried for Gasly in that sense, not so much of his ability. I know that's through the roof, and, I, and he deserves to be in that seat right now, um, given the, the circumstances of Ricardo's exit and Red Bull being forced to bump somebody up into that seat. And mm-hmm. Red Bull are not hiring outside of their own academy, so Gasly was was the natural choice. Um, I just fear that he could be made roadkill. Because, like, as I've mentioned it numerous times, my chaos theory on Red Bull, they sacrificed everything to get to this point. That Verstappen is now their guy, he's now leading the team, and I wonder, like, given that Max has got a couple of years left on his deal, they, like, Red Bull need to think about being a title contender really quick, otherwise they're going to lose Verstappen. Because, like, like, could you imagine the the, the, the kind of dollar Verstappen could pull in if he became a free agent. I it would be it'd be Ricardo, but like ten times the scale. Where it's like no, we're talking we're talking Lewis money. We're talking the money Kimmy used to make when he was at Ferrari, and he was the only he was the highest paid athlete behind only one Eldrick Tiger Woods. <laughs> yeah, like good lord. Um, so yeah, I, that that's what like like. If you're Red Bull, it's a bit like, you know, the the Washington Nationals with Bryce Harper. You kind of know you're on the clock here to, to, to win a World Series. And I think Red Bull's kind of in the same boat here with Verstappen. I feel like, how long is Max going to sit there being in a car that he knows is third best? Ooh. When... I can't Not wait long. for... I can't wait for F1 2021 where Max Verstappen's on the cover in a hoodie. Oh, oh goodness. Yeah. <laughs> oh, goodness. Yeah, he's going to go unsigned until, like, the Wednesday before the season. Yep, and Urinating Tree will make 14 videos about where he's going to go in free agency. Uh, it's it's going to be lit. Um, but, yeah, it's, like, I think Red Bull's on the clock with Verstappen, and I think they, they need to get him into title contention quickly. Otherwise, again... If you're Verstappen, who has Verstappen's dad on the payroll, who has done nothing but, but but bump up just how good his son is for the last forever, basically, mm-hmm. um, and you're in a team that you know is third best, Verstappen's always bet against himself, and he's mostly won to, in his F1 career to date, knowing that there are two really good seats potentially just in front of him, and Merckx tried to get him when he was 15 years old. Valtteri Bottas has not got the greatest rep coming in. There's a lot here, folks. And I think Verstappen might have one, maybe two years to win a world title before he fucks off from Red Bull. That's, that, that's and, my opinion. And on the same side of the coin, this is the point in time where Matt Verstappen has to, consi- has to strain together a consistent season where he can't afford the little mistakes, the compounding mistakes over a over a continuous race weekend or several race weekends. He has Mm -hmm. to drive without the red mist while still managing to be the same explosive driver that he was when he first came on the scene. If he can channel, again, like I said, there was a tale of two seasons last year. Last year, he was sloppy as all hell in the first half of the season, made numerous silly mistakes that cost him big points. 
um, and big results. I mean, we, we, we like, like China, for example, lost out in that one. Bahrain took out Hamilton. Well, almost took out Hamilton, took himself Monaco. out, really. Monaco ruined his weekend Baku. in FP3. Baku, where he drove into the rear of Ricardo and took him and his teammate out. Um, but then only Hamilton scored more points after the summer break. Like that's the two sides. That like that is the two sides of the coin for for, for Max Verstappen, and that's what's going to make it so interesting in 2019. Locked into third, boys, as a team. Yeah, locked in the third. Yeah, that, that, that's that's the feeling I've got. Okay, the moment you've all been waiting for, folks. We've really winnowed this down, folks. <laughs> oh lord. Okay, folks, the moment you've all been waiting for. Scuderia Ferrari. I know it. You know it. The hype has been real all the way through. Number five, Sebastian Vettel, four-time World Drivers Champion, three-time runner-up in the number five car, and his teammate, the new Charles Leclerc, number 16, his second season in F1 and a meteoric rise to get to this point. The youngest Ferrari driver in 61 years. Um, so, they've been the belle of the ball of testing so far. I mean, okay, the times ultimately ended up quite close in the end, but they've caught the attention of all the major pundits saying that out of the box, it looks like Ferrari might have the best car here. Um, so, how do we feel about this team? Ooh, boy. I feel good. Yeah, I feel good. I feel good. I, I don't know if it's world championship good. It, it, it feels world championship good, but it. Oh, I still have doubts. I have many doubts. Their worst case scenario is anything other than winning both championships. Uh, their best case scenario is winning both championships. Uh, they've got the car to do it, and they've got the drivers to do that. Absolutely. Uh, they Doesn't will make a massive push in the World Constructors Championship. Um, Vettel will be a title contender. Leclerc is probably the future of the program, but I wouldn't take too much stop in feeling like, oh, are they, or is Ferrari going to hold down Leclerc to promote Sebastian Vettel? Vettel's going to the point. Charles Leclerc has time to develop. Yeah, you're acting like him missing out on this championship would be like the end of his career. <laughs> It, I think it's a victim of the hype train he's been carrying in. People don't want to see him be a failure, and I think people are cynical about Ferrari in general. Listen, they're not giving a 21-year-old a shot unless they think he really is something special, because that's just something Ferrari does not do. They do not They do not do this, ever. Like, the last guy that even had a whiff of this was Felipe Massa, and he was 26 when he, when he ended up signing for Ferrari. And that was, like, after years of Sauber's blessing, essentially. Um, Sebastian, elite driver, top two on the planet, probably top six of all time at this point. Like, he's probably the headlining member of the Make It or Break It club, because this feels like the year for Ferrari more than any other that's been there since he joined them. He joined them more out of hope than expectation, he exceeded expectations in year one. Year two, the team was a little, was, was was more sloppy. 2017, again, Vettel 
was sensational up until Singapore, and then the team kind of let him down on that one, and we kind of gave him a pass for it. We, we, he was a driver of the year candidate in, in 17, no doubt about that. 18, well... Svetl was sloppy at times, but he was still the second best guy in the field by a massive landslide, um, despite the sloppiness. I think it's still the same situation. I think he needs to be about inch perfect to beat Hamilton over a year. And that's always the trouble spot, because when you have to be inch perfect, when you have to press to beat Lewis Hamilton, it led to mistakes last year. Yeah. yeah. That the nature of being on that knife edge where you know you have to take risks, knowing that you have to be 10 out of 10 every weekend to beat Hamilton. And it's hard to do that in a sport where the most minute of human error can cost you so dearly. This is his 13th season. Well, that's also quite scary that, that, that him and Lewis are in year, in year 13 of their respective <laughs> careers. Um, God, I still remember his BMW Sauber debut like it was yesterday. Um, it's it's crazy, but like this feels like it could be it. I mean, Ferrari's pumped more money in than ever before this year. They might have the strongest car out of the box, and they got it's, a new leader, where... Matteo Bonato. A new leader, Aravabeni is gone. Um, just in general, there's good feeling coming out of that camp. There's excitement out of that camp again. Again, I think for the first time since 15, when Vettel joined them in the first place, especially with Charles Leclerc as a teammate, and the excitement regarding him and his future, um, and his potential. This feels like this is going to be it. For, I don't think Ferrari's going to get a better shot than this. Um, I, I, I really don't. Um. I'm going to save the title predictions till the end of the video. I know the podcast, I should say. Um, I'll get back to that in about 10 minutes' time. But um, there's a lot to be excited about here because I'm going to kind of merge them in with Mercedes because they're kind of in the same ballpark here, really, anyway. Yeah. We all know this is this, this is really the fight which we're all talking about here. So let's talk about the blue corner, or in this case, the turquoise corner. Mercedes AMG Patronus F1 team. I know him, you know him, the juggernauts, the motherfuckers of Formula One, the guys that have had five straight double championships. Mercedes, you know him, the king, number 44, Lewis Hamilton, year 13, the five time and reigning world drivers champion. Record breaker of number of points in the season last year. His teammate, number 77, Valtteri Bottas. Year 7 for him. Um, they are still the marquee team of the field. They are still the team to beat. I, I, I'd say there's been a little chink in the armor through testing. Their, their drivers have not come across as particularly confident. After testing, I, I, I think a lot of this is down to the, the, the Brackley grass, as I like to joke about. They, they tend to have a knack of being a bit paranoid in this camp regarding their own performance sometimes. But it it genuinely feels like Mercs are looking down at themselves going into this season. And that's probably a first in this hybrid era. Ooh. Ooh. Like, I, I would say... Our perception and their perception are different. Mm-hmm. Where Mercedes, yeah, Mercedes, genuinely feel like that it is they're heading into a bad year. For us, a bad year for Mercedes means that they're gonna be in a head-to-head title fight with Ferrari. 
Right. To use a uh, American college football analogy, a bad year for the Alabama Crimson Tide is a year where they still take double-digit wins and make a major bowl game, which is something that most programs will never do no matter how much they aspire because they don't have the power and the resources. That is Mercedes AMG. Yeah. Technically speaking, last year was a down year and they still won 12 times. <laughs> like, like that's the thing. We don't know what the floor is for this Mercedes team. Like, the floor is still probably close to double-digit wins. Like, it, by all accounts, it seems like we have a dogfight on our hands. Mm-hmm. And and everyone in the, Mer- in the Mercs camp seems to be saying it. I've said it before, like, both teams in question are the worst poker players on earth. Um, They are both playing each other's chances down. I think Ferrari's been burned one too many times for them to be truly believing in themselves on this one, while Mercedes have always leaned on the conservative, shall we say, side of their own ability. It's going to be interesting. It's... Oof. I don't know. I don't think Valtteri Bottas is playing poker when he comes out, grows a beard, and says, I'm going to beat everyone. (laughs) And that's the confidence, even if you're feigning it, that he really has to have, because there is always the, there is the picture of Valtteri Bottas in that 77 car. And there's Esteban Ocon in the back of the garage, hoping he can fill that cockpit up with some water and drop the toaster right into the bathtub. To put it into perspective, Valtteri Bottas is twenty-five to one to win the championship. Mm-hmm. Is twenty-five a to driver. one. He's a quality mm-hmm. driver when he's on. He was not on most of last year, but he was also the victim of basically being the uh, the spear carrier at Mercedes. Seven second place finishes last year without a win, mm-hmm. and probably deserved at least three of them. I, I would say. I'd say China. I would say probably Austria. And uh, of certainly Baku, but that's the one that probably stands out most than anyone else. Goddamn stewards leaving that piece of debris on the track. Uh, but um, oh boy, we I don't think you need, we need to go in, into much depth on Lewis Hamilton. He's Lewis Hamilton. Like hello, um, yeah. <laughs> um, you're new here. I. If you are, welcome to your first year as a Formula One fan. We hope you enjoy our crazy sport with our bastard fans that we love and hate so much. Yeah, we we, we hope you enjoy Drive to Survive. Welcome aboard. Um, So that's that black guy with the dreadlocks, uh, basically. (laughs) Yeah, so, yeah, like, again, it's Lewis. Valtteri's going to be interesting to keep an eye on. He's, He's tried to talk himself up. He's probably under a lot of pressure to keep that seat. A lot of fan pressure as well, given that Esteban Ocon is a reserve driver. He's not on the grid as it stands this year. And uh, a lot of people think he should be in that seat right now. So, yeah, a lot of pressure on Valtteri in that camp. And he probably should be thinking, can I get to 300 points again at least, at least, at very least, to back up Lewis Hamilton for a constructor's push? Because, again, it seems like... Mercs are looking down the barrel of a gun right now. So, I'm going to run you through some predictions before I take a quick look at Skybet. First of all, the Constructors' Champions are... Scuderia Ferrari. Oh, Mercedes. <laughs> I'm going Mercedes. 
I, I can't go Ferrari on this one, and I, I say this because Mercs have been here and done it. I, for, like, it's like the Premier League title race right now between Man City and Liverpool. The last time Liverpool challenged for a league title, they had they were five points clear with three games to play. They had the infamous, now almost viral meme of Steven Gerrard slipping and Chelsea beating them, and then blowing that three-goal lead against Crystal Palace <laughs> when Brendan Rodgers, who was manager at the time, was going for the throat, saying, hey, we need goal difference, score more goals, and then ends up blowing a three-goal lead and that ended up costing Liverpool the league, ironically, on goal difference. Um, it's a bit like that here. Mercs have been there and done it. They know how to win. They know how to win titles. They know how to manage a team to the point where they can still craft out effective results. Ferrari has not been in this scenario for quite some time, especially down the stretch where it seems to be won or lost. We don't, like After they, fl- they leave Europe, Ferrari's assholes seem to fall out, and uh, they need to prove it more than anything else. They can, and they have shown they have the ability to be able to win races, to be able to dominate races on occasion if the car is up to scratch. That's not the issue here. So for me, I'm going Mercedes for the constructors. Over overall in the field, who is your breakout star of the year? Ooh, breakout star. Uh, I don't know. I, like I, I, I generally don't know because I don't think they're going to be any surprises, so to speak. I think I think. Daniel Ricciardo is probably going to impress at Renault. That doesn't feel like a surprise or a breakout performance. But would you consider him a breakout star if he's already won seven races? Yeah, exactly. Would you consider Charles Leclerc a breakout star when he was Rookie of the Year last year? And he's expected to win races. Like, if I had to put a finger on someone being a breakout star, it'd probably be Lance Stroll. Not a bad shout. Um, I would say Alex Albon at Toro Rosso, personally. Oh man, that was gonna be my pick. <laughs> we can have the same case, pick, RJ. It's okay. Yeah. In, in that case, um, I'm going with Antonio. I think Antonio Giovinazzi is gonna be one of the breakout stars of this season. If Alfa Romeo get it together, he'll be much closer to Kimi Raikkonen than I think. I think he might even outpoint it, Kimi Raikkonen. Okay, that's that's pretty bold. I'll say that much. Okay, who do you think will be biggest disappointment? Oh, biggest disappointment. <laughs> Through no fault of their own, rich energy Haas F1 team. They'll tumble down the constructor standings, uh, not because they have lost pace, but because everybody gained it. I think due to their own hype train, Sauber. Or should I see Alfa Romeo racing at this point? It's hard not to, it's hard not to call them Sauber. <laughs> but uh, I, I think... I think they they've shot. I think they've flown a little bit too close to the sun for my liking so far. Another team that I think still needs to really prove it in full race in full race conditions. It's not 2012, um, and it's a more competitive midfield now than ever. Um, so I think there's a lot of ifs and buts going on right now. So I'm going to say Alfa Romeo. King, you got a uh, you got a bold pick for your uh, for your uh, floppy award for F1. Floppy award. Oh God! Like King's season review rating system. 
I, I think my floppy, I think it might be Reno. I generally think Reno are going to, like, wow. things, things, things are King's not going to go well. hedging his bets. Yeah. King is hedging his bets, considering um, there is a, there's an offline wager if Reno wins the race. <laughs> I think we should just tell everyone what the wager on the Discord server is. King, what's Don't the wager? If, if Reno win a Grand Prix this year, I will eat... 12 bananas in one city. <laughs> in other words, King is going to be sick for your entertainment. <laughs> I love it. Go Rano. Win a race, please. Oh my god. <laughs> We've picked on this poor man enough. <laughs> no, 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 we haven't. <laughs> also, I love the Black I'll just put Bottas in big capital letters. Um, <laughs> if the boot fits, right? Um, and finally... Your 2019 Formula One world champion is Lewis Hamilton. Ooh. I'm going, going Sebastian Vettel. I think, I know I didn't pick Ferrari to be the constructors' champions, <sighs> champions, but Ooh. I know some weird things are going to happen. <laughs> that the will... way I see it, the top four are all really close. Uh, both the drivers' and constructors' titles go down in the final day. Ferrari gets the constructors by just a couple of points. And Lewis Hamilton pips Vettel by just a couple of points in Abu Dhabi. Oh, God. That would be a very weird celebration in the Ferrari gadget if they won the Constructors title but didn't have the drivers. That, what would the mood be in that camp? Would, be, would it be like 2008 again when yeah. Felipe Massa missed yeah. out? It's like, guys, we won the Constructors. Uh, we're Ferrari. We get a lot of money regardless. And then there was me. You've waited, you've waited 110 minutes for this, people. <laughs> My decision. Does me, the resident Sebastian Vettel stan, does he back him for the 2019 championship? <sighs> and everyone in the chat just goes, do it! <laughs> Why do you people want me to suffer? Like, seriously. Because <laughs> we love pain. No, you love inflicting pain on me. There's a big difference there, you know. Um, This should be the year. On paper, he's not going to get a better shot than this one, I don't think. The the car looks really, really solid. How much of my fan wants to kick in? How much do I I maintain the discipline I have as lead host of this show? (laughs) How many jokes would they get get in if this season collapsed on itself again? Would the Church of Dre have to build another conservatory in the back as an expansion? I don't know. This is tough. (laughs) And again, the the, the Discord is split. It's like, 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 Dre, shoot the fucking shot. Jason, Dre, don't! Jason goes, narcotic! Jason, <laughs> no! I, I saw Twitter earlier, it's like, Marge, anyone who follows Bounce Back, Eric, it's like, see, like Marge, one of the nicest people you'll ever meet on Twitter, um, was like, do it, you know you want to, with, with, with the Matt LeBlanc gif. Joe McMillan, get back on the narcotic, Dre. Daddy Brennan, do it, do it, do it, do it. Rory, it's the year of the Bottas, Dre. Um, Bottas. Miles going, you got to pick signs. This is McLaren's year. It's like, ugh. 
fuck it. Sebastian Vettel to win the championship. He did it! <laughs> he pulled the trigger. <laughs> this hurts. This hurts. Is this what childbirth feels like? Um, oh, oh, God. What have I done? Oh, this is going to be crushing disappointment. Oh. Oh. <laughs> Has anybody got a defibrillator? Um, I think my heart just stopped. Um, oh. <laughs> oh, what have I done? What have I done? <laughs> Is this what the end of the Lion King feels like? Like, I just... Oh. I don't know, people. I, I, I don't know what's just happened. But... Okay. Let's 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 do it. One last ride, right? <laughs> last ride. For you, have to, you have to like we're not gonna be in the same situation in twenty twenty. Never <laughs> If if he doesn't win this year, I'm never doing this again. <laughs> I'm not making this up. <laughs> oh god. Let's get the fuck out of here, shall we? Um <laughs> Oh dear, I hope you guys enjoyed our 2019 Formula 1 season preview. We'll be back next week to review the Australian Grand Prix. It's going to be a fun time for all involved. Probably not for me. <laughs> but in the meantime, thanks to our Joe Coddle and Ryan King. Basically, you can find us one more time. Oh, just before I go as well. Lewis Hamilton is Bookie's favourite to win the title. Just thought I'd point that out. That seems like the no duh the year. Yeah, but that's the thing. He was 10 to 11 a couple of weeks ago. After testing, he's now 11 to 8. He's drifted out quite a lot here. Like, Vettel's gone in from 3 to 1 to 2 to 1. Leclerc was 9 to 1. He's now 9 to 2. Like, I was telling people, put put money on Leclerc each way, like, ages ago. Like, because it was they're, they're paying top three at a fifth of the price. So, like... You know, 9-5, to five, he's in the top three. Seems like a pretty good value bet to me. But Also, you can bet for Formula Renault 1.5 champion without the big six. Daniel Ricciardo, 2-1 to one favorite on that one. Hulkenberg, 7-2. to two. Hey, value there. K-Mag at sevens. Just throwing that out there. Just, just saying, just saying. Without, you know, without, without the big six involved, which is obviously Mercedes, Rebel, Ferrari, Ricardo two to one, Hulkenberg seven to two, K Max sevens, Raikkonen eights, Grosjean eight to one, Carlos Sainz and, and Sergio Perez at tens. I want one. none of them. Give them Kubica on the podium at Baku. Oh dear God. <laughs> also, Lando Norris eleven to ten favorite was top rookie. That could be interesting. Um, and Norris, a top rookie, eleven to ten. Albon, five to two. Geo, five to two. George Russell, nines. Um, that's another one to keep half an eye on as well. So that'll be fun. But in the meantime, basically, you can find us one more time. YouTube.com forward slash Motorsport One Hundred One. Um, you can catch us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash motorsport101. We're on Twitter at motorsport underscore 101. Our personal handles um, at Harrison101HD, at RJ O'Connell, uh, um, and at Ryan Eric King. Again, you could, if you read like this, you can back us financially on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash motorsport101. Um, again, five dollars you access to both this show. I almost said to both this show. I st- I st- nothing <laughs> fills the void. It still hurts. Um, 
basically. So yeah, that'll be that. That'll keep an eye on that one. Um, access to this show, both shows this week will be on early access at some point over the course of the week for just five dollars. Um, I might even put the season review for just the buck because hey, it's 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 F one season hype. Who doesn't love that? And I really enjoyed this show. To be fair. Um, I'm feeling generous this week. Um, $10 gets you into our Discord server, Supporters Club, where you can listen to these shows live as they go out. Special thanks again to Jason, to Cam, to Black Amon, to Joseph for being in the chat, contributing as always. Hope you enjoyed the show. I uh, enjoyed both shows because we recorded these both in the course of 24 hours, which is uh, crazy, but uh, we love doing this, um, especially me. It's fun. I could podcast every day if I, if I had the choice. Too bad the Cheltenham Festival's holding me back from that prospect. <laughs> and we're uh, not Joe Rogan. And we're not Joe Rogan. We're not. We're not bringing Alex Jones in three times a week. Um, <laughs> of course, as well. You can join our Discord in general. Just can hook us up if, if you want an invite in. Um, but again, the supporters club is at the ten dollar level or higher. Um, anyway, let's get out of here. We'll be back next week for the Australian Grand Prix and my inevitable crushing disappointment. Until next time, I've been Andre Harrison. They've been Ryan King and RJ O'Connell. Thank you very much for listening. And we'll catch you guys next time. Sayonara. Later, y'all. Bye.